G'day, the Bible bloke here. Thanks for joining me. It's great to have you along. Grab your Bibles and let's get stuck in. If you will indulge me for a little while, I'd like to tarry in the book of Genesis. Interesting word, tarry. And I don't mean covered in tar. That's tarry. Basically, tarry means to hang around, to linger, to wait, or to abide, or to stay in one place. It also means to linger in expectation. I've always felt a massive expectation when I read the first couple of verses of the book of beginnings. We call it Genesis. Take a quick look in your translation at chapter 1, verse 3. In the King James Version, we read that the earth was without form and void. Zip over to the New American Standard Bible, and the earth was formless and void. Grab the NIV. David Pawson refers to it as the nearly infallible version, at least until they did the edit that shifted things over to inclusive language and by doing so changed some of the basic meaning of the text, which, by the way, one should never do, and indeed it is something that scripture warns us against. For instance, in Malachi chapter 4 verse 6, the word changes from fathers to parents, thus taking the teeth out of the verse. Considering that it is in part referring to God's ultimate fatherhood and creation, then the meaning should remain the same by leaving the word the same, but I digress. The earth, we have read, was created at the beginning, formless it was, and empty. Think of the potential promised here. We can look back in time simply because we have the text that God has given us in order for us to remember. Because we have seen what God rendered, we become a bit ho-hum. Jaded is the word. We're so used to it. It's familiar. We, come a, we become a little bit complacent about it, perhaps. Well, some of us do. We have read the words a bit too often and have become familiar over-familiar about the whole thing. It loses its impact. But if we clear away the dross of presuppositions and think about the earth, newly made, waiting for the hand of the Lord to shape it according to his love and his purposes, hmm, there is no light. Right at this moment there is nothing to see, other than God, that is. Now we come to the end of the verse, with the words that make my heart flutter, and so they should. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The Spirit is here at the very beginning of all things, lingering in expectation, tarrying, hovering over waters that already existed, but had not yet been given form. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. What strikes me about this is the certainty of it. The authority with which it is stated is that of a definite history being written, Yes, after the event, but with the full assurance that what is being reported is fact. We should take a moment to note that the focus of the action is Earth. Why? Well, it's here where the ultimate and absolute outflowing of God's love had its focus, and still has its focus. And it was this overflowing of love that led to the creation event in the first place. Let me change lanes for a bit. You see, there is another explanation of the beginning of all things that is lurking around in the background, stirring up a bit of mud, making it hard to see the light of 
for what it really is, making a bit of a nuisance of itself. Let me read you something a Google search threw up, and I take this from a website called space.com. There are other websites that say basically the same thing without getting too deeply technical, and if you ask me a tad over the top, but let me read this to you. In the beginning, there was an infinitely dense, tiny ball of matter. Then, it all went bang, giving rise to the atoms, molecules, stars and galaxies we see today. Or at least, that's what we've been told by physicists for several decades. But now, theoretical physics research has recently revealed a possible window into a very early universe, showing it may not be very early after all. Instead, it may be just the latest iteration of a big bounce cycle that has been going on for, well, at least once and possibly forever. End quote. Please take a note of the certainty of the language used in this statement of the fact of physics. This is something that may be, but, you know, maybe not. And, well, we really don't know. And it's possible, but perhaps not as certain as we would like to make out. Let them hedge around it a bit so they feel comfortable in the almost, but not quite, certainty of it. Shrug into, you know, the possible, maybe, if we let our imaginations loose for a bit of a frolic. The statement I just read lacks the authority of observed and tested evidence. This is necessary in the scientific process. Here we have a statement of a history unobserved. Now, before you start throwing fruit at me and telling me that the Bible isn't certain or observed, observed or tested, let me read you something else from the same article. The problem is, and I'm quoting here, that the physics we use to understand the early universe, a wonderfully complicated mishmash of general relativity and high-energy particle physics, can take us only so far before breaking down. As we try to push deeper and deeper into the first moments of our cosmos, the math gets harder and harder and harder to solve, all the way to the point where it just quits. End quote. What we end up with, according to the person who wrote this article, is a theory that we cannot prove, and realistically, a theory that doesn't work to explain what it needs to explain. What we're asked to work with is complete, total, and utter speculation. I'm left to work with either a God who loves and created because of that love, or a naked singularity, whatever that might have been, that physics and maths can't quite fully explain, or, for that matter, grasp in any sense of our current understanding. Oh, sheesh. Ah, I return to this idea of expectation. Here we go. If I ask the question, what does God expect of me, what do I end up with? Gee, I end up with a gospel. I end up with a simple, undeniable, amazing, wonderful fact that God, who created the universe that surrounds us and the earth we live on, this God wants nothing more than having a loving relationship with his children. I end up with love, and love, and love. Think about that for a moment. I'm a father. I love my boys more than I can ever express. 
to come to the realization that they did not love me, well, that would be devastating. For one of them to walk away as the prodigal son walks away, uh, I have no conception of how that would feel. And yet, that is what so many of God's children have done. They have turned their backs, given him the finger, so to speak. Stuff you, God. I'm going to do it my way. I don't care about you. I'm going to come up with as many outlandish theories as is necessary to write you out, to scrub you out, to paint you out of the picture. Can you feel the pain in God's heart? And yet, what does he do? He is who he is. And so he sends us the essence of his love and the person of Jesus Christ to make things right. And yet, there are some who still refuse to admit that here is something real, something true, something life-changing. They would rather be star stuff. Can I adhere to this Big Bang Theory, base my life and my worldview on it, and experience anything like this love that God has promised? You bet I can't. Let's jump back to 1980 and the release of what at the time was touted as a groundbreaking TV series. I guess in some ways it probably was. It was presented by a highly credentialed 46-year-old astronomer, planetary scientist, cosmologist, astrophysicist, science commentator, and who knows what else he might have even been able to cook by the name of Carl Sagan. The series was called Cosmos, and at the time I was captivated. I didn't know about God. I had no idea other than Carl told me I was star stuff. I soaked it all in. Everything Carl had to say became my gospel, so to speak. But if I am star stuff, what is the point of love? What is the point of my ability to appreciate music or art or a sunset? I am nothing but a meaningless agglomeration of atoms. I am matter that really doesn't matter. When I die, I will be absorbed back into an uncaring cosmic cycle. And so will you. Whoop-dee-doo. I find it really exciting thinking about life as star stuff. Well, <laughs> actually, no, I don't. And I was never very comfortable with that thought in the first place. And I really, you know, never shared Carl Sagan's heart, felt awe and wonder at that supposedly foundational concept. The issue here is the importance of beginnings. If we come from nothing as supposedly existed before the Big Bang, then we can't say we are anything other than nothing, because nothing is the cause of who we are, so we must remain nothing, as we started out as nothing, which is really a lot of nothing, really. But the moment you start thinking about nothing, it becomes something, but that's all just too horribly complicated. If I'm to continue to believe what I was taught at school, I am the distant ancestor of some disparate single-celled organism that, over a period of millions and maybe billions of years, found, somehow, extra genetic material, grew legs and lungs and found some eyeballs, and eventually became me. Oh, wonderful. It's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? I am so much more comfortable with the idea that a divine, omnipotent, holy and loving God created everything. This presupposes that God had, and indeed still has, a purpose for history. And we are assured through the events told us in the book of Genesis that God 
is fully capable of consummating that purpose. As Henry Morris has written, a believing understanding of the book of Genesis is therefore prerequisite to an understanding of God and his meaning to man. I'm still yet to work out what meaning I have in terms of the book that is written according to star stuff. So, you can see, it really is worth taking some time to fully explore what the book of Genesis has in store. I hope you will join me again as I delve more deeply into this most amazing first book of the Bible. Friends, until we meet again, I pray that you are blessed by deeper wisdom as you open and read God's Word.